So last week, I had gone through a whole series of questions, you know, uh, in terms of um, what there is to think about Rosh Hashanah. And like I said last week, most people think that it's Yom Hadin, which of course it is ultimately, but that's not really what the essential idea is. You know, now there are many questions which I had mentioned last week which really show you that we really don't know what Rosh Hashanah is, you see. And like I said, you know, I uh, just to rapidly mention them. I asked, what's the essence of Rosh Hashanah? Then I asked, how could Yod Hadin, a day of judgment, be once a year? You know, imagine how many criminals would be out there if it was only once a year, the courts were open. Then I mentioned that there's a contradiction because Nigamara says that man is judged every day. What does that mean? Yeah. Then I asked what, uh, that Rosh Hashanah, we know every Jewish holiday corresponds to a Jewish historical event. But when you think about it, Rosh Hashanah doesn't seem to correspond to any Jewish historical event. I mean, Adam Rishon was created, but was after Judaism. Then I asked, why is Aleph Tishrei, which is when Rosh Hashanah is, why is that Yom Hadin? Really, could Yom Hadin, the judgment day, could have been any day of the year. Then I asked, why are animals judged? Because they don't have free will. Well, if they have no free will, how can they be judged? Then I asked, why is Rosh Hashanah a Yom Tov, a holiday? Why? Because a holiday, how could somebody who's about to be tried for life and death how could that be a holiday? And then uh, the, I mentioned that the, the Malachim say that uh, if that's the case, then let's say Halel. So God answers, well, since the books of life and death are open, you can't say Halel because there's still fear. So obviously that's the answer. So what did the Malachim think? Then I asked, why is there Malchuyos and Shefaris? What does that have to do with Rosh Hashanah? And then I asked, uh, why do the, what is the shofar all about? You mean because it blow a horn? That somehow helps us? Then I asked, why do sounds of the shofar emulate crying? Because that's what the Gemara says. Those three sounds of the shofar, they all emanate crying. Then I mentioned, well, it says that Satan is confused by certain aspects of the shofar. Why? you think by now he would get it. It's only been happening 5,780 times. Then I asked, why is the Akedah red on the second day of Rosh Hashanah? You know, is it merely because you want to invoke the merit of Abraham? And then I asked, why is the Aserzimei Tshuva after Rosh Hashanah? I would have thought that maybe you have the 10 days of repentance first, then you have the Day of Judgment, which gives us a sense, chance to do tshuva. Anyway, I asked all these questions, and they all dramatized how really little we know about Rosh Hashanah. So, the question is, can we answer all of these things, really, with one idea? And the answer is yes. That's the key, is to answer questions with one idea, you see. Now, what is the idea that will answer these questions? 
Well, there's certain important pieces of information that you have to know. One, when you look at the acts of God as he made creation, you really can summarize all the acts of God into three systems. That's right. Even though there's obviously unbelievable amount of actions, the whole universe is composed of his actions. But when you think about it, there are only three ideas or three categories that all the actions of God can be summarized in. What are they? Well, let's take a look. The first is that we know the purpose of creation is that man should do a task and thereby get Oilam Habo, the future world. If a person does a task, then he deserves, he earned the right to be in Oilam Habo, which is the future world. Okay. <clears throat> so therefore what God does is he creates an entire scenario. The entire, all the props. You ever see a play that has all kinds of backgrounds, props, and so on? He creates all the props of the whole Brio. All the actions that comprise creating the entire background, the setup of the entire creation, is called Hanhogasakium. The Hanhoga, which is the behavior or the actions, Kium, that fulfills the purpose of creation by providing the entire stage, the background that we people can act in. It's like a play. A play has a stage that has all kinds of props, scenery and so on, so that the actors on the stage can do what they have to do. They can act out their parts with a background or scenes of the, the, uh, the props. Same thing. God creates everything, everything that is necessary Everything that is required for the, the Jewish people in order to do the tikkun, and we know what the tikkun is, to bring God back into the universe. And that's really the task of man, you see. So that's called the anogasakil, the actions that God takes to create the staging where you can have the fulfillment of the entire purpose of creation. Kiyom means to fulfill, you see. Now, that's a very important idea. Everything that exists, exists because in some way it is necessary for the Jewish people to bring the tikkun. Now, we don't understand most of it, for instance. There are 300,000 different species of beetles. Imagine that. Not beetles. There are trillions of beetles. But there are 300,000 different species, which means, do you ever see different species of a beetle? They incredibly look different. But they're all under the category called beetles. Now, that's very strange. You mean there couldn't be uh, 299,000 species of beetles? Right? Because there's 1,000 one, one, uh, uh, species of beetles, then the, the creation can have a sequence? Hello? Yes, sir. That's a Whoever's here has to shut down. 
Amy, mute them. Amy. Yeah, yeah. You have to mute, yeah. Well, they can mute themselves, actually, I think. There's a way, right? I think they press a button and they mute themselves. But in any case, so what do we see? We see all the, I think scientists estimate there's 100 million different species between mammals and bacteria and fungi and so on, you know. Uh, and everyone is necessary in order for the Jewish people to do a tikkun. In fact, when you see a species is about to go extinct, and there are many species that have been extinct, means that there's not one example of that species anymore. It's because in some way they do not in any way have any, any need to exist for the tikkun. If they did, then God would never have allowed them to disappear. It's a very important idea. You see, not, of course we have to be careful. But everything exists because it has a reason to exist. It doesn't exist just to be there. No. It has to be there in order for the tikkun, the rectification of creation, to occur. That's why. And if it goes extinct, means according to the divine plan, it is not necessary for that species to exist. You see. That's a very important idea. So, on August Hakim, which is the uh, behavior or the acts of God that bring in all the staging, all the props, all the scenes that are necessary for the Jews to do the tikkun, that's the actions of God called Hanogos Hakim. The second acts of God is that God waits for everybody to do their acts. And then he judges them. And based on what they did, they are either rewarded or punished. Those actions are called Hanogasak Mishpat. Those are the actions of God or the behavior of God as it relates to justice. Mishpat, judgment, you see. That's called Hanogasak Mishpat. And therefore, God waits for everybody to do everything that they do. And if they have free will, then God obviously is going to judge their behavior and he's going to respond. Either he's going to respond with some type of reward or he's going to respond with some type of punishment. And that's the Anogah i just like to mention that there is no such thing as a reward, even if you go a mitzvah, for many reasons. So therefore, what does God respond what he does is he elevates your uh, your ability to do the tikkun. That's the reward. You see, in other words, he gives you a higher position, changes your situation where you can even do greater tikkun. That's the reward. But not that he gives you the reward. The reward is only in Pilim Habo, the future world. You see, but what he does do is if a person does mitzvot. He does reward the person in the sense that he elevates him and he now becomes, uh, he now has much greater opportunity to earn reward, but not that this is a reward. You know, it's like somebody, let's say, works for a bank, right? And let's say he's a teller and he does a great job. Customers are satisfied with him and so on. So the bank can reward him how? You know, not by giving him money and sending him away. No, 
they can make him a manager, a bank manager. You see, he still has to work, right? But he gets more money for the new job, the new title, the new responsibilities that he has. So in a certain sense, it's a reward, you know. But the real reward is that he can now earn more. And also, it's most prestigious in terms of what he is. But he still has to work. Same idea. So God waits for a person to do an act. And if the person has free will, then God will reward him by elevating or making increasing the opportunities that he has to earn more reward, even though he still has to work. But whatever it is, it's still called a mishpat, a judgment. And God does, in many ways, uh, as I said, reward him in that way. So that is the second acts of God. Then there's a third acts of God. Why? That's called the Anhulas Hayichud. It is the acts of God as God being the greatest singular entity of all, where God can alter and do whatever he wants, and nothing restricts him, nothing blocks him. That's called the Anhoga, the actions that is taken by a being that is Yichud, that is the single being of all. Uh, what does that mean? Well, here's the problem. The problem is that if mankind has free will completely, then it is possible for all mankind to sin all day long because they have free will. That's a big problem. Why? Because if mankind as a whole does this, where they sin all day long, then in effect they can frustrate the will of God. Because if everybody's sinning all the time, right, nobody's doing the tikkun at all, right, they're all doing what's called kilkul, they're all doing damage and destruction, then what will happen is nobody will get the future world. Yeah, but God doesn't want that. He wants mankind to get the future world, but he wants them to earn that right. He doesn't want to give it to them as a gift. So the problem is that if everybody has free will, it is possible for all mankind to sin all the time. And instead of God putting them in Ilam Habo, which is the future world, right? He will not give them the future world because they don't deserve it. So that's a big problem. You see, that is the problem of free will. Because then a person can do what he wants. Now, if you may ask me, well, wait a minute. You're going to tell me that everybody's going to sin all the time to such an extent where they're not going to do tikkun and they're going to be destroyed? And the answer is yes. It happened already in the generation of Noach, the flood. All mankind sinned to such an extent that they're obviously not, not doing uh, tikkun, whatever the, that was. And that, in those days, it was the seven mitzvahs of B'nai Noach, the Noachite commandments. And they were sinning all the time. So God decided to destroy them. So wait a minute. They frustrated the will of God. Fortunately, there was Noach. But could you imagine if there wasn't Noach? That means God would have destroyed the entire world and not rebuilt it. So we would be gone. There would be nothing here. So what God decided, which is very important, is that he's going to create a new series of actions. And this series of actions will not allow man to destroy the world. 
It will not allow man to frustrate God where nobody gets Olam Habo. And that is called the Anhogas HaYichud. That's what it is. It is the actions taken by a being that is the greatest authority of all. What does that mean? That means if God wants, he could suspend justice. Because if you think about it, you know, hey, if you did free will and you did it the wrong way, why should God in any way give you a second chance? You see? Why should there be a guaranteed backup plan? And that's what this is. It's called a contingency plan. It's a backup plan. Right? Justice doesn't demand that he give a backup plan. Right? You failed and you disappear. But what God decided is that he's not going to allow mankind to frustrate him. In other words, there's a guarantee system where mankind must be in the future world, no matter what. So what God therefore does is a series of actions that guarantees the survival of whoever is going to do the tikkun, which happens to be the Jews. And this Hanukkah guarantees the existence of the Jews to be in the future world. That's what Anhogaseh is. Now, the, we don't know, which is, this is very important. Nobody knows exactly how it works. How does God overcome the inability of man to get the future world when he sins? We don't know. There are many mysterious things about this Anhogah. To us, it's irrational. It makes no sense. For instance, the classic act of Hanukkah is Rabbi Akiva when he died. And the, even the Malachim said, Zu Torah Zu Is this the Torah? This is the reward? This is completely irrational. It makes no sense. You see. And that's what it is, you see. That's Hanukkah So in the case of Rabbi Akiva, the death of Rabbi Akiva was something that was in the category of the acts of Anogasa because it certainly wasn't Anogasa Mishpat, where Rabbi Akiva died to die, he, de- he deserved to die, such a terrible way of going, dying. Except that the death of Rabbi Akiva this way was necessary in some way that the guarantee, that the Jews would be guaranteed the Olam Habo. And we don't know. We don't know how it works. The Malachim don't know how. Nobody knows how. You see. But that is the third Hanhoga. It's a very important idea. Okay. Therefore, we now understand that there are three systems of actions. The Hanhogah those actions that God takes to create everything and to set the stage for the Jews to do the Tikkun. The second thing is Hanhogah Samishpat, the actions that God takes for justice, to recompense man for his actions. And I mentioned how. And the third series of actions is is those actions that God takes as a backup system to guarantee that mankind, or rather basically the Jews, although will exist in Ilam Habo. You see. Now, when we understand that there are three different systems of actions, that God does, we can now begin to understand what Rosh Hashanah really is. If we know that there's an entire system that God initiated, right, 
tikkun, and so on. Guess what? I once I mentioned this. Imagine a guy opens a business, right? So he opens the business. Let's say he opens the business on January second. Okay. Then every once in a while, he's got to assess, evaluate the business to see if it's making money, right? He's not going to open a business where nothing happens or he's not making money, he's losing money. So therefore, he has what's called a periodic assessment. You see? A periodic assessment is where he takes a, an evaluation. He checks out the inventory, the marketing, right? Uh, the accounting department, the sales department, and so on, to make sure that everything is running the way it has to be run in order to make a profit. But how often does he do that assessment? He doesn't do it every day. Why? Because let's assume he does an assessment, not on January 2nd, that's when he opens it, but he will make an assessment, a periodic assessment, an annual periodic assessment. means next year, He'll make an assessment. Why? To see if those things that he put into place, if they work. Now, if he finds aspects of the business is not working, so he's going to change it, right, on the next January 2nd, right? And he's going to give it time to see if it works. So he's not going to do an assessment a month later. He's going to do it a year later to see if all those changes that he put in, are they working or not? So therefore, a periodic assessment of any kind of endeavor or enterprise will always take time because he wants to see if those things that he put into practice, if they will work. <clears throat> the same thing. What is the business of God? The business of God is this world, is this creation, you see. And what God did is that he has to assess what's called the tikkun status. In other words, God looks at the world every year and he says, okay, where is it holding? Are we close to the end? Are we far from the end? You see, in other words, what percentage of the tikkun has been accomplished? 50%? So 50% has to happen. 80%? Then 20%. 80% happened and 20% we still have to go. You see, that's what Rosh Hashanah really is. It is the periodic assessment of the tikkun status of creation. It's far greater than a man's or a person's individual assessment of his sins or mitzvot. No. It's an assessment evaluation of the entire creation that God judges. You see? And what happens after the assessment or the evaluation, what does he do? He has to readjust. You see? So he has to readjust based on the past actions and the required future spiritual needs. That's what he does. He's got to make changes. You see? Now what's interesting is the ones who do the tikkun are the Jews. So what God does is he evaluates the acts of each Jew. Not so much in terms of is it mitzvah or Torah to reward or punish the person. No. It's really to assess, well, is this guy doing the job of tikkun or not? So, if he's doing the job of tikkun, then God will do one of two things. He will allow him to remain in that position that he occupies to continue doing the tikkun 
from that position. Or he will elevate him, you see, based on the fact that this person is doing a great job. He's going to give him a higher position, you see. But what happens if the person is sinning? Then he will again readjust. He will evaluate the person individually. Because that person is the one responsible for the tikkun. So if he's doing a bad job, God may do one of two things. He may lower him, which means all of a sudden the guy gets poor, he gets sick, or all kinds of difficulties happen, you see, because he has to clean up the guy with punishments, you see, because that person, not only has he not done the tikkun, he has done kilku, so God has to clean him up to erase the kilkulum, you see, uh, but it's not so much that God wants to punish the person. He needs to change the person's position vis-a-vis the tikkun. That's the critical idea, that everybody's evaluated based on what are they doing for the tikkun. Are they moving it forward? Are they advancing the tikkun or not? That is the incredible thing, you see. And that's what God does, you see. So that's what Rosh Hashanah is really all about, to adjust to evaluate, and therefore to adjust based on the tikkun status of each individual person, you see. Now, the next thing you have to know is something very important. Now, God does not have to tell anybody what he's going to do. You know, it's like a boss. He comes into the business, sits down, right? And he sits down with a couple of people to evaluate all the workers. He doesn't have to tell them what he's doing. You know, if he likes what they're doing, then he will continue or promote them. If he doesn't like what they're doing, he'll either demote them or fire them. And that's it. They get their pink slips and it's over with. But the Roshim doesn't want to do that, you see. He doesn't want to do that to the Jews. So what he does is incredible chesed, act of loving kindness. What is that? He tells the Jews what he's about to do. You see? So what? why... In other words, God tells the Jews that he's going to judge them and issue a verdict. You see? Why does he do that? Because he wants the Jews to change and to influence the verdict. That's a chesed. That he's going to tell us what he's about to do. You see? So all of a sudden, Rosh comes. He tells the Jews, by the way, there's going to be Yom Hadin, Rosh Hashanah, right? And I want you to do tshuva. So when I do judge you on Rosh Hashanah, right, then I will judge you based on your tshuva. In other words, he wants the Jews to do the tshuva. You see, that's a tremendous act of chesed. So Rosh Hashanah, where you inform the Jewish people of what he's about to do, is an unbelievable act of chesed, which he did not have to do. Because he wants the Jews to influence the verdict. You see, what an incredible act of chesed. That's what he does. And now you begin to understand what Rosh Hashanah is. It is an assessment. It is a readjustment, right? And he informs the Jews of what he's about to do. So hopefully they will influence God to change the verdict, a bad verdict. Because what they will do is tshuva. But the tshuva is not only a repentance, in terms of their sins. What it is, is a promise that we will now do a good job to do the tikkun, 
because that's really what it's all about. It's not necessarily about the individual idea what the Jew is doing. It's about, well, are you going to do the job I hired you for? Are you going to do the job of Tikkun, which is why I even created you and put you down on this planet? That's the critical idea. That's a very important thing to remember. This is what we see. Now, what we also see is, wait, when did this plan of Tikkun start? It didn't start when God created the world, which was Chof Hei Elul, which, by the way, was today. It is Aleph Tishrei, the first day of Tishrei. Six days after the creation of Chof Hei Elul is Aleph Tishrei. And that's when God created man. But once he created man, man had the task of Tikkun. So the inauguration of the Tikkun process begins with the creation of man, not with the creation of the world. Therefore, on Rosh Hashanah, which is the creation of man, God now evaluates the entire creation on that day. You see, that's the annual uh, assessment day because that's when the whole Tikkun plan was inaugurated. You see, now we understand why Aleph Tishrei is the Yom Hadin, because that's when the plan started. You see? It's a very important idea. However, there is a major difficulty in what I just said. It would be interesting to see if anybody would come up with it. Here's the, here's the problem. It's a major problem. Why? Because if God was a boss who comes into his company and he now evaluates every worker in terms of are we making money or not, right? None of the guys doing his job, but are we making money or not? Then nobody would know. That's it. Okay. But since God is a tremendous Baal and he wants everybody to influence the verdict by doing tshuva, therefore everybody knows who's everybody. All the angels know, and even the Satan knows. And that is bad news. Because the Satan, he is the Makatreg. He is the prosecutor. So guess what, right? You're going to sit down and do tshuva, and he's going to face while God judges you in the court, and your soul is in front of the Bezdin. That's what happens. Your nishama, unbeknownst to you, is standing in front of an awesome court and God is sitting on the seat of justice because he is the presiding judge. And all of a sudden, the Satan, since he knows that it's a judgment, he has the right to be mekatreg because that's his job. Every time there's a judgment, he is there prosecuting in whatever he can get away with. So guess what he says? What he says is, this guy, Ruven, come on, he didn't do tshuva. Or if Reuven did a tshuva, he's going to say, you call this a tshuva? This is not tshuva, this is not repentance. He's going to go all right tomorrow and do the exact same thing all over again. What he's going to try to do is destroy any type of repentance that a person does. Now the problem is we don't do perfect repentance. We know that. Either we only do it because we're not sure or we do it because it's half-hearted or we know that we're going to do the exact same thing Right? The same sin we're going to repeat after Yom Kippur. You see, a person is judged for that. So the incredible problem is, is that the Satan knows because God publicized the fact 
that he's going to have a Yom Adin. And therefore, everybody knows he did it because of the Chesed. So we can do Tshuva and influence a Din. But at the same time, everybody now knows. That's terrible. You see? So it's almost like thank you and no thank you. You know, they gave me a chance to do Tshuva. But at the same time, maybe it would have been better off had you judged us without anybody knowing, because then nobody would know, including the Satan. You see? But by telling everybody that there's a Yom Hadin, the Satan knows. And there begins the whole prosecution, which is terrible for the Jewish people, because we know, look, we're all human, we all make mistakes, and so on. And the Satan is going to have a field day. So what, what has God, what, what has he gone, what has God done? You know, on the contrary, he's, he's created a terrible problem, you see, for the, uh, the assessment. But God gets around that. How? Uh, and that is the whole concept of the Shafer. That's what the Shafer does. What the Shafer does is when the Jewish people blow the Shafer, or if it's Shabbos and the rabbis said you can't blow shofar because they were afraid that a person would carry the shofar and be transgressed the Isa of Shabbos or Hitzor, carrying in Shabbos. Therefore, it's a zikron tour, even if you mention the shofar, that serves as if you blew it. But the main idea is that the shofar, the mystical understanding of the shofar, is that it blocks the sudden. It's unbelievable. How? Because what God does, as soon as he hears the shofar of a community, God gets up from his seat and leaves the court, you see? And where does he go? He goes into his private chambers. And that's Dan Hogesai Yichud. So God goes into his private chambers and says, okay, I'm going to stop the judgment. Well, if he stops the judgment, then guess what? Then the Satan cannot be Mekatreg. Why? He can't prosecute because the court has now been closed. They ended the session, you see. But God doesn't stop the judgment except he goes into his private chambers and he now evaluates the whole Bria where nobody knows what he does. And because he evaluates without a prosecution by the Sultan, then the Jewish people are saved. Now you understand what Shofar does. Shofar activates Dan Hogesayichud. He act, Shofar activates the actions that God takes to guarantee that all the Jews will be in the future world with infinite bliss eternally. That's why we blow Shofar. You now understand, and we see that because if you look at the six psukim that bring down when you daven, right about the Shofar, you know. Shukori Shavosi and so on, then you'll notice that the Rashi Tevis, the first letters of each of these six Psukim, is Kora Sotan. The Sotan is ripped apart. That's what it does. When the Jews blow Shofar, or they mention Shofar on the Shabbat, then automatically God gets up from his, the seat of justice and he goes into his room, which is called the seat of mercy. But what it really is, is the seat of the Anogos HaYichud. is the chamber that he now performs the actions that he can do in secret, where nobody can prosecute. But even though those actions are difficult, because the primary way that God brings everybody to the future world is through Yisurin, 
which is suffering. That's the primary method. However, better that than not ilm habo. And you have to remember, even when God makes people suffer, it's never in one time God can make a person suffer, not himself, but his property, or he can make the person suffer, but he mitigates it, softens it, by spreading over many years. There are so many ways that God does it, where he softens the blow. But he can only do that if there's no prosecuting attorney, you see, which is a Satan prosecuting the Jews. So you now understand the fundamental gist of what goes on on Rosh Hashanah, you see. And therefore, let me go through the questions. One, what is the essence of Rosh Hashanah? Well, the answer is, what? The answer is, is that it's not a Yom Hadin, a day of judgment, like you go into a court being tried for a crime or something like that. No. It is really the assessment of the entire Tikkun status. Where are we holding? You see, and that's why, and that's what happens on Rosh Hashanah. Therefore, each person is judged, not so much in the sense that, well, you know, is he going to be punished or not? No. God judges the person in the sense of, well, what do I do with this guy? Should I, you know, if he's not doing his job, what should I do? Should I put him in another position where he will have another job in doing the tikkun? And maybe until now he was rich. So God says, well, he's not doing any mitzvot. On the contrary, he's walking around with an incredible amount of arrogance. So you know what I have to do to this guy? I got to make him poor. And in that circumstance, he's going to do the tikkun. You see, now he doesn't want to do that. The guy doesn't want to become poor, you see. So the poverty is not only a punishment. The critical thing about the poverty is that this is his new position in the company to do the tikkun. But that's a terrible position, you see. That's what happens. Now, some people, God decides that he has to take them away. He has to kill them. They die, you see. Because God decides either their job is up or they are not doing the job sufficiently where they should remain alive. So then God will deal with it in another way. Maybe he'll bring them back in another Gilgul, you see. And therefore, the consequences are terrible. You see, the consequences is that your job may change from a superior one to an inferior one. Nobody wants that. On the other hand, if you know how to do tshuva right, then your job may be elevated. You may be a guy, for instance, you know, who is, not, who is sick, and all of a sudden God may send you to the right doctor, and that's it, you get cured, and now you're, you're healthy, you see? We don't know. Everything depends on what is your position, what is your mission in the tikkun, you see? Now, Yom Adin, therefore, is once a year. Because like I said, you don't, ev- you don't adjust every day. You have to see if what, if what you, you know, delivered to the world, the changes you've made, will that work? So you've got to give it a chance to work. That's why Rosh Hashanah, Yom Adin, is really once a year. And that answers why the Gemara says a, a person is judged every day. In other words, a person is judged every day what does that mean? He judged on a personal note his sins or verot. 
But he's only judged once a year in terms of his tikkun position, you see. It's a very important distinction. Now, uh, to what does it correspond, the Jewish historical event? And the answer is Adam HaRishon. But you're going to say, wait a minute, Adam HaRishon is not Jewish. So why should a Jewish holiday, which it obviously is, why should that correspond to Adam HaRishon is not Jewish? And the answer is, you're right, Adam HaRishon is not Jewish. But he is a Hebrew. If you remember what I said, Adam HaRishon was able to do tikkun, because God originally wanted to give the entire tikkun to all mankind, except he removed it. So therefore, since Rosh Hashanah is the judgment day of Tikkun, well, Adam Arishon was the first metaken, you see. So it's not a Jewish holiday per se. It is an Israeli holiday. What does that mean? It's a holiday for Yisrael, for the Israelites, not for the Jews. And therefore, that is really, in the end, a Jewish holiday, since we are not only an Ivri, a Hebrew, but we are also a Yisrael, you see, just like Adam Arishon. Why is Yom HaDin Rosh Hashanah on Aleph Tishrei? Because that's when he created Adam Arishon, right? And that's when he inaugurated the whole Tikkun plan. So obviously, when you have an annual assessment, that's exactly what you do. You annually do it on the day you open the business. Why are animals judged? And the answer is, and because they have no free will, and the answer is, they're not judged because they sinned. Animals don't sin because they are controlled in heaven. But what God does is he arranges, he changes the positions of every creature on earth. That's what he does, so that they are in the right place to help the Jews do the tikkun. That's what he does. So he doesn't judge them in that sense of, you know, uh, guilty or innocent. What he does is he moves them around. For instance, if he feels that there's a nation that is doing terrible things to the Jews, what he may do is move, lo- move locusts, you see? And then all of a sudden they're going to invade Spain because the, Spain kicked the Jews out, you see? So he's judged animals in the sense that he's moved the animals, you see, so that they will be punished for what they did to the Jews. So, not that he judges animals, they have no free will, but he moves everything in the entire universe around. Animals, angels, bacteria, you name it, he does it, you see. And that's infinite. Why is Rosh Hashanah Yom Tov? How could a day of judgment of life and death be a holiday? And the answer is, you know why. Because, like I said, when we blow the show for what happens, God gets up from the court and he moves into his private chambers and practices the actions that will guarantee that the Jews will have oil That's why it's a holiday. You know, it's like, imagine you're in a court, you're being judged by a jury, right? But you know that the judge is your father, so, you know, you're nervous because the jury may pronounce you guilty. But since you know your father is the judge, you obviously know it's going to turn out okay. Same idea. <clears throat> we know that God is going to move into the room of the Anadah his private chambers. So we know, of course, ultimately, we are going to be in Oilam Habo, you see, which is infinite bliss eternally. So we're not really worried 
we know ultimately it's going to turn out to be fabulous for us because we have the emunah and bitachon. You see? However, uh, that's why it's a yomtev. You see? So the malachim are right. They said, wait a minute. If everything is guaranteed, you know, and that's why it's a yomtev, right? So we might as well say halal. So God says, you're right. You should say halal, but you can't. Because in order to say halal, not only that it has to be an incredible day, but you can't be nervous. You can't be anxious. And because we know that it's a Yom Hadin, <coughs> even, though, even though we know that we will be, since we know we will be judged, even though we know that we will be found to be okay, <coughs> and we'll be in the future world, right? However, since we are anxious about the whole day, you cannot say Hallel. But nonetheless, it is a Yom Tov. Why do we say Malchia is Sikhwenis and Shefaris? Because that's our petition. In Musaf, <clears throat> we say Malchia is because what's the key tshuva? The key is to recognize that God is our Father and our King, that He is our Sovereign. And the key is to anoint Him as our Sovereign, to recognize and acknowledge that He is our Sovereign, right? And to accept His sovereignty. That's why we say psukim about that God is King. Then we say, well, if we're not doing that enough, it's not sufficient, then zichronot, which means memories then remember what our forefathers did. So maybe on their merit, we will be able to survive. And if we can't survive because of the merit of the forefathers, then shofarot, then please listen to our shofar and get up from the court of din and go into the private chambers and activate the Anogas HaYichud. Why shofar? And now you know the mystery of shofar. Because shofar enables God to get up from the court you see, and as a result of that, uh, he goes into his private chamber. That's why you have Shefa. Very, very important idea, you see. Why did it sound like crying? The tekiah, the blast, the, sh- the shvarim and the truah. And the answer is because the major way that the Anogos operates is through Yisurin, suffering, which is crying, so shofar sounds just like crying. In essence, what we're saying is even if you have to give us suffering, which will make us cry because of the suffering, do it anyway, because at least we know that we will survive. Then you go to a doctor and he says, I'm sorry, but I have to operate. So you say it's terrible, but of course operate, because at least I will survive. Why is the Sutton confused? And the answer is, he's not confused because he... He knows what Shaif is about to do, <clears throat> but he's not confused, he's confounded, because he's hoping that the Jews won't blow Shofar, and if they don't blow Shofar, then God will not get up from the court on that, for that community, you see? <clears throat> and that's why it says that in the Gemara, that any community that doesn't blow Shofar, right, is going to have a lot of problems that year, because they have not moved God into the room where he does Anogas HaYichud for that particular community. You see? Why is, uh, why is uh, Rosh Hashanah after, why is Aserah uh, Simei the 10 days repentance after Rosh Hashanah? should be before. 
And the answer is because tshuva really starts not on Rosh Hashanah. It starts on Elul, you see. That's why you begin saying slichot. I know the Tzfadim say slichot for Rosh Chodesh Elul. The Ashkenazim say, you know, from uh, a week before Rosh Hashanah. You see, uh, so therefore tshuva as a process really begins on Elul. And then you have Rosh Hashanah, which is the Day of Judgment. But if you have the Day of Judgment, what do you need to assessment tshuva? Because that's like the appeals court. You know, a person is tried, and if he's found guilty, what does he do? He appeals the verdict, right? After the judgment. And he's hoping that the appeals court, all right, will enable him to go free. Same idea, right? We do the tshuva on Elo, we have the judgment, and we're hoping that the Aserzimei Tshuva, right, the 10 days of repentance, is the appeals court, and Yom Kippur will be the appeals, and we beg God that if the Tshuva that we did is not sufficient, we beg God to do what? To enable us, you know, to survive, you see? And that's the concept why Tshuva comes after Rosh Hashanah, because the real primary Tshuva has to come before in Elul, and the Aserzimei Tshuva is basically... An appeals court, you see. Okay, I have now gone through all the questions, you see, and you now understand how all of these questions, remarkably, can be understood once you know of Rosh Hashanah, what it really is, you see. <clears throat> now, most people don't know this. Why? Because they focus on the fact that it's a Yom Hadin, which is true. But most people are not aware of the divine plan. This is the tragedy. Most people do not have an understanding of Hashkafah, you see. And therefore, if they don't know the concept of Tikkun, how are they going to know that you need an annual assessment and therefore a periodic adjustment? They won't know that either, you see. But you now know all of this, you see. And you can see why the entire day of Rosh Hashanah beautifully merges into the divine plan itself. <clears throat> and it is eminently, eminently logical. People go to work, right? They have a business. They have to assess the business. Well, God does the exact same thing to his business. His business is Olam Habo, the Jews in Olam Habo, and the actual task of the Jew, which is the actual Tikkun itself. You see? You see how it works? That's Rosh Hashanah. Now, <clears throat> what are you supposed to do tshuva on? Okay, let me tell you an important idea. Like I told you, the essential judgment isn't only on your sins. You know, <clears throat> so you're not going to sit there. I mean, you can, you know, but the, the thing to focus on is not that you're going to do chotosi or visu poshati, I have sinned, and you're going to enumerate all the sins. You see, uh, that's why there's no vidui. There's no confession on Rosh Hashanah. Because the, the, the essential confession is not necessarily the sins in itself. It is that you somehow have to convince God that you're going to still be involved in the tikkun. That's the critical thing. Uh, that he should not change your position or he should elevate your position. <clears throat> so your, your main tshuva should be saying to God, please, you know, I want to do tshuva. I want to get back into the mission that you gave me. 
You see, I want to be part of the tikkun process. I want to help the Jews. And the Jews, especially today, need so much help. What is happening to the Jews all over the world is terrible in terms of intermarriage, assimilation, the amount of Torah that they learn. So many Jews know so little and so on. You see, uh, there's so much that has to be done uh, to spread the concept of Shmirat HaLashon, Lo Lashon Hara. All of these are critical for the Tikkun process. So therefore, what you need to focus on is that argument. When you face God in the court, what you want to be telling him is, please, don't change my position in the Tikkun mission. Right? Stay it. Let it be what it is. Or elevate it. On the contrary, give me a higher position. And if you do, I promise you that I will in some way endeavor to help the Jewish people. To help myself, because I'm the one that's doing the Tikkun. Um, but I'm going to certainly try to do, do tshuva, which means to help myself do tshuva, not to sin, because that's how you do the tikkun, uh, but also to help the Jews to be part of the process of getting old, to bring the world to its final conclusion. You see, uh, that's the real essential idea that you want to do. So the concept of doing tshuva on a particular sin is important, of course. But the real idea is that you don't want to do that sin because that sin is allowing you not to do the tikkun of the entire creation. This is the problem. So that is my advice to you. Stand in front of God and beg Him not only to allow you to continue doing the tikkun, not only to elevate, you know, but to even show you what your mission is in the tikkun and to give you the wherewithal to do the tikkun, uh, you see, to bring the creation closer to what? To the day, the day will come when God will be what? The king of all the earth, right? As it says in the Olein and Shabbat, the sakein, or rather the takein, Olam b'machut shaday, right? To bring a tikkun to the world with the kingdom of the Almighty. Uh, that's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. And that's why the way, why we say Oleinu in, in Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because Oleinu mentions the Taken Olam, you see? <coughs> that you want to bring the Tikkun of the world, you see? You want to be what's called the soldier in the army, or maybe even a colonel, maybe a general, you see? So it's not for an individual violation that you did. Yeah, doing your job. The army is losing the war. This is the problem. It's not only that you're sinning. The army is losing the war and your sins contribute to that loss. So what you need to beg God is to allow you to continue to know your mission, to do your mission, to have all the wherewithal, and of course to do tshuva on all the sins you've done, and to do the mitzvot that would allow you to continue doing the tikkun, where God someday will reign supreme as God, as the king of the earth. That's what you should pray for, now that you understand what Rosh Hashanah really is. Any questions? Yes. The one, one question that you didn't answer was 
um, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, why are Amy, talk louder. We can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Um, <coughs> second day of Rosh Hashanah, why we read the Akedah? I'm very glad you asked. I wanted to see if anybody's going to point it out. <clears throat> you know, if you're, all, if you're all really following. Yes, you're right, Amy. I did not say the Akedah. What was that? I said, are you keeping us on our toes? Well, no, not really, but because that requires a, a, a much further explanation. You know, um, I may take 10 minutes to elaborate. You want to hear it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, the arcade is a very strange test. It's really incredible when you think about that. Why would God tell Abraham Avinu to kill his son? That's unbelievable. Okay, he wants to see if Avraham Avinu is going to listen to him, right? But what is the Nisayon of the Akedah? Take a look. <clears throat> it wasn't one Nisayon, it was many Nisayonot tests. Test one. How, how could he kill Yitzchak? Why? Because Avraham, Avraham stands for Chesed. How can somebody who is essentially kindness and acts of kindness, kill anybody. So it's completely against his nature. So that's the first test. You must violate your nature to do God's will. Second test, God is a tremendous Baal Chesed. How could God ask anybody to kill anybody without any justification? God doesn't do these things because God is the essence of Chesed. Right? So therefore, that's the second test of Abraham. How could God do this? That's completely contrary to his nature, besides my nature. That is the second test. Doesn't make sense. Third test, you see, is Yitzchak. Yitzchak is his son. You see? That's his real son. So how could Abraham kill his own, his real son? Yeah, he had other sons. You know, he had Yishmuel. But Yitzchak is the real one. Not through Hagar, through Rivka. I mean, excuse me, through Sarah. You know? So how could God ask anybody to kill his son? Avram, how could Avram, how could a man kill his son? Number four. Not only is his son, that's his only son. In fact, it's his only son. It's not like he has other sons left with, with Sarah. Number five. Right? Yitzchak is the only Jew. He's the only Jew. Right? There's no other Jews besides Yitzchak. So it comes out that if he kills Yitzchak, he has just killed the last Jew. Right? Imagine that. That he has killed the last Jew. See, none of this makes sense. The last Nisayon, is this. There are certain things that God does that we do not understand. But we know there's a reason. However, the reason is unknown. But there's a second type of test. Not an unknown, but a second type test, which is irrational. What does irrational mean? It, it's completely contradictory. In other words, imagine somebody says to you, you know, it's day outside, and you know it's night. Well, that's irrational. Uh, God told Avramavinu, 
כי ביצחק יקרא לחוזרה. In Isaac, in Yitzchak, will be called your seed. The continuity of the Jewish people is through Yitzchak, right? But wait a minute. That's a nevuah. That's a prophecy of God. That never changes. And now God is telling him, you've got to kill him. Well, somebody who's dead, obviously, will not reign after you. It's over with. Because this is in the lifetime of Avram Ovino. You see? So God is contradicting himself. This is called irrational. It's called mutually exclusive. If Yitzchak uh, is the, the continuity of Avraham, then he obviously has to survive. If Yitzchak dies, he cannot survive. So therefore the prophecy is false. That's completely contradictory. God doesn't do that. This is irrational. Uh, you see? Because you cannot fulfill the prophecy if you kill him. You see? It's impossible. But the prophecy must be. So how do you align these two? You can't. Now we know that you could align them because God never told Avram to kill him. Because he says, Offer him up as a sacrifice. God never said you've got to kill him. Avram Avinu assumed. You see, that was his assumption, which of course was not true. Well, if I've got to offer him up, obviously I've got to complete the job, which is to kill him. So God never contradicted himself, you see. But Avram Avinu thought that he did. And therefore, what God did is incredible. He appeared to Avraham as an irrational God. It's almost like, huh? God doesn't make sense. You know, what, what, is the, what kind of God is this? He makes no sense. So he purposely appeared to Avram Avinu with commandments that were completely mutually exclusive. In other words, if A is true, B is false. If B is true, A is false. They cannot be true at the same time. That's what he did. Now, the question is, why did he do that? <clears throat> why would he appear to Avram Avinu irrationally, which is the worst test for a person with the mind of Avram? Look, Avram Avinu was a brilliant philosopher. Brilliant. And to a philosopher, the worst thing you can do is present him in an irrational argument, you see. So imagine God appears to Avram Avinu you know, the day in the day, and he tells him this. Imagine he goes to sleep with all these Nisyanis. It's a Jew, it's a son, everything. But the last one got him. This whole thing doesn't make sense. You mean I'm worshipping a God that's irrational? It makes no sense. So Avram Avinu had to decide what is he going to do? And he decided, and here's what he said, I have no idea what God is doing. I have no idea of how this is rational, because it's not. Remember, he didn't know that God didn't say, kill him, just bring him up. So to him it was irrational. So he said to himself, I have no idea, but in the end, I must trust God that in some way this makes sense. So not only did he trust God to such an unbelievable extent, <clears throat> he even got up in the morning he gets up like at the crack of dawn to do the bidding of God. Can you imagine what, I mean, God saying to any Jew, kill your kid? 
Uh, but worst of all, when God promises that your kid is going to carry on after you, and then he still says, kill him. <clears throat> so what Avram Avinu did an unbelievable thing. God presented himself in an irrational way, a way that makes no sense, no matter how you look at it, you see. So that Avram Avinu should say to himself, this doesn't make any sense. So the question is, will Avram Avinu believe and trust God, even though it's irrational? And Avram Avinu did, he passed the test with flying colors. The question is, why would God present him with such a difficult test? And the answer is, ah, because of Shafer. Because God says, in the end of time, and that's why this was the last test, Good <clears throat> God said to Avram Avinu, in the, uh, that's what he said afterwards, in the end of time, your children, right, <clears throat> will be high of Misa. I think I mentioned that message to you. And the only way to save them is Anogasayichud. I have to get out of the court of justice and go into the court of mysterious actions. And in that court, nobody knows what I do and why. In fact, in that court, everything is irrational. Yes, that's the only, just like the death of Rabbi Akiva. That's what the Malachim said. Zu Torah This is the Torah and this is what? The reward? It's completely topsy-turvy. It's impossible. Uh, that's the Nogah So God says, because you passed the test where I presented myself to you as an irrational God, and you said, I don't care, I will trust God, then because of that unbelievable merit, the Jews can ask me to get up from the court and to go into the room where I exercise irrationality, which is Dan Hagasayichud, and I will do it. I will get up, go into the court of irrationality, and save them. You see? Because you acted and trusted me, even though I appeared to you as irrational, then that merit is going to stand for the Jews the thousands of years that they, when they are being judged on Rosh Hashanah, and they ask me, please, uh, get up from the court of justice, which is rational, logical, and go into your private changes, chambers, which is the backup plan, and the behavior there of God is, it, it seems, of course it's rational in the end, but it seems to us as irrational, we don't understand it, we have that merit because of the shoifer, because of the akedah. And that's why we read the akedah. Uh, because what we're doing is saying, you may ask God, the, the satan is going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, just because they blow shofar, therefore, you know, I got to lose out? You're going to get up and leave this chamber and close the whole session. And you're going to go into your private chambers and you're going to conduct whatever justice you do there? Why? So God says, you remember what happened 4,000 years ago? The merit of a Jew, right? Following me, trusting me, even though I appeared irrational. Therefore, on that merit of their forefathers, the descendants have the right to ask me to exercise irrationality. And what is that? That is the Anogas HaYichod. Now, of course, it's rational but God, only know God knows why, which we will learn, learn why after the Mashiach. Then it will all become rational. But right now it's beyond belief. You see, 
And therefore, because of the merit of the Akedah, which we say on Rosh Hashanah, right, as an answer to the Satan, that he cannot complain and say, wait a minute, because they blow Shafer, therefore you're going to leave the courtroom? Right? So therefore God says, do you remember that event 4,000 years ago? What their forefather did, and based on the merit of Abraham, I'm going to get out of the court, go into my private chamber, exercise the Anogos HaYichod, which to everybody is irrational because of what Avraham Avinu did. Got that? Now you understand why we read the, the Akedah on Rosh Hashanah. It's not because we want merits, more merits. No. Because what Avraham Avinu did was unbelievable. That even though it wasn't, it's not that it was unknown. Uh, the reason was impossible. The commandment that God ordered him is impossible based on the logic of our thinking. Like I said, if A is true, then B must be false. Right? If A is false, then B must be true. They cannot be both be true. You cannot have Yitzchok, and that Yitzchok should be, should be the continue, continuity of Avram Avinu. They both cannot be true. It's impossible, you see. That's why we read the Akedah on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, I answered all the questions, but now you see how they all fit into a magnificent tapestry. Any questions? I have, I have some, I have a question. So, what? A, um, it reminded me that what you said about the rationality and the irrational about yeah. the question. They yes. say that, like, COVID is so irrational where, like, um, we don't know, like, no one really knows, even though science says so much about it, there's still so many, so much questions about it. So they say... Yeah, but questions, is, the questions are unknown, not that irrational. That's not called irrationality. But they, they were saying, like, when you don't understand what's going on and why things are going on and... and, and no, that's not called, that's not called irrationality. Remember, I told you. It is impossible for A and B to exist at the same time. That's irrationality. But if something exists and we don't know the reason for it, that's not called irrational. That's just called unknown. COVID is unknown because it's a new virus that never happened before. So a great deal of the characteristics of COVID is unknown. But they'll find out eventually, but that's not irrational. Got it. Good. Okay. Now, my other Any other questions? Yes. Yeah. So, our, so our main focus during Rosh Hashanah, you're trying to say basically is we should be focusing on the tikkun of, uh, of our soul's mission in this world. And That's right. Because the sinning, I mean, sins are horrible and we shouldn't do it. But that's like focusing on the small little part. We have to focus more on the bigger part of the scheme of things and our place in this world and how we could elevate, you know, the tikkun process. That's correct. Our main yeah, but remember that I don't want to. Remember, I don't want to minimize tshuva for all the sins we did. Because remember, the tikkun we do is through the mitzvot and avoiding the sins. Yes. You see. It's like, a guy, it's like a guy who works for a factory, and he does a terrible job working a machine. 
So that's what he's got to do, tshuva, to work the machine. But really what he's got to do, tshuva, because the factory is losing a ton of money. So he's got to promise the boss, no, 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 I, I will learn how to use the machine so you can make money. You see? There are two different ideas here. Got it. And is there Good. any, like, mitzvahs that, like, you recommend to take upon us that are, like, more important than others in the tikkun process? Uh, I'll tell you something interesting. There are many mitzvot. I always recommend Shminat Tarashon. Why? Yes. Because one of the essential ideas of Lashon Hara is what? Is that if you do not speak Lashon Hara, then the Satan cannot prosecute which is the Lashon Hara about you. I've mentioned that many times, especially in the Shuram on Lashon Hara. So therefore, what the Chovetz Chaim says is very interesting. You see, he says everybody's praying and begging God to save them and all that. But he says one of the best things you could do is to stop the Satan. Because if there's a person that does not speak Lashon Hara, guess what? Even when God is sitting in the courtroom, the Satan won't be able to prosecute. You see? Because meter connected meter, measure for measure. Because if you don't speak Lashon Hara, then the Satan cannot speak Lashon Hara against you, which is his prosecution. So Lashon Hara can help you even in the court. You see what I'm saying? But there's a second idea. Everybody has a different skill and talent. No two people are the same. Every person has to examine what they are especially good at and then take that on in some way, you see, to, do the, to help the Jews. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And in and, and that way, everybody's different, you see? Okay, so I have a question for you. Say, what? Uh, what? Let's say, I have a question. Let's say we could be very good at um, bringing emunah and bitachon to other people. But uh, as a person, I'm more reserved. I don't like uh, to be the center of attention. I don't want to have so many, like, I don't like it. I just, I don't feel comfortable in that setting. Well, so how there's can I two help? ideas. Well, there's two ideas to solve that problem. One is you can learn how to not be afraid of an audience. No, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it. I just don't, en- I don't enjoy uh, the, the, the uh, I, f- I like my private space. I like to, to have my, I, I, I feel other people's energies. And I don't, I, when I'm around so many people, it, it, it could, and they're telling me their issues, it could be overwhelming for me. Even if I white light myself and I try to protect myself, it's still, I, I feel them. I feel their pain, and it, and it, okay. it, could get, it could get to me. Well, if you can't overcome that, then you could teach others to do it. You can assign others to do it and show them how. Show others how to do it. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be also on a grand scale, even if you help one or two or no, of whatever. Of course not. No. I want to tell you something. Uh, if you can change one Jew from doing one Avera, your reward is infinite. Okay. We don't realize the weight of a mitzvah. No, we don't. We don't. We have no idea. Do you know that if you do one mitzvah in your whole life, totally 
there with the with the right kavanot, the right intent, and you do it right correctly, you can get oilim habo on one mitzvah. Do you know that? No. Yes. Yes. You know, uh, there, there was once a, a, a story about the Chofetz Chaim, where he he said this, which is a remar- you know, which is remarkable. There used to be a Jew in Europe who used to try to go around, you know, and 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 uh, collect uh, collect money to build mikvahs, mikvaot, uh, in you know different European cities. Uh, so the Chofetz Chaim said, he said the following. He said, if that Jew that goes around and tries to help establish mikvahs, right? If he is successful in getting one woman, only one, to go into a mikvah once in her life, right? Before being with the husband, then he said, the Chavetz Chaim said, that he is jealous of the Oilam Habo of that Jew. Imagine what that is. Uh, we don't realize the weight of a mitzvah to get us into Ilam Habo. We do not realize. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater is the Ilam Habo. You see? So why, why don't we know? Like, why don't we, uh, why don't we learn about the weight of the mitzvahs? It would make well, that, that, you're right. That's why, that's why you go to Shurim to learn. Exactly. We still don't learn the weight of it. We learn about it and how to do it, but we didn't learn. Well, that, never the, well that's, you see, that's problematic. Because what you have to learn is not just halachot, how to do the mitzvah, but the hashkafah. What is the mitzvah all about, really? And why is there a mitzvah? And how does it contribute to the whole tikkun? You see, how does it fit in? That's the divine plan. And that's really what these shurim, which I give, are all about. It's all about the divine agenda. You see? Yeah. The great tragedy is that this stuff is not taught in many places. You know, a guy can walk away and he learned this Gemara, he learned that Gemara, he learned maybe Mishnah Brura, and so on, but he has no idea what Judaism is all about, which is a terrible mistake because we live in a world that has complete foreign ideologies. You walk outside of your house and you are assaulted by so many different foreign ideologies. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I'm not even talking about television where you see the whole culture of all the goyim. You see it live and you're tempted. I'm not even talking about, you know, and so on. There's so many uh, things which are forbidden and so on. Uh, But you are assaulted with so many different belief systems where everybody's trying to tell you, well, this is true and that's correct, and so on. You know, this is advisable. After a while, you don't know what to believe. You see, it's not enough to know halachot. You must know the divine plan, and you have to know it well, or else you will slip, you will weaken, and you will fall. That's why there's so many Jews leaving the fold, <clears throat> because Are they don't know the divine plan. On mitzvot, that? are there any books that you recommend on like the divine plan of certain mitzvot? Yeah, like the, even the, the, of, like, yeah. of like of mikvah, 
I always, I keep trying to look like what's like, I learned about, like I found some information like of um, bringing uh, the Shrinta and the Kedisha Berichu together and have that Kavanah while you're dipping. But like I tried to find like more deeper meanings prior to dipping so that at least I have the right Kavanah, but I can't, I can't find it anywhere. Well, that's why you have to go to a Shia that will deliver that type of message. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I don't I mean I don't know what's happening, you know, where you live and all that, but that that's what it's about exactly. But no one gives that's the hashkafa. They only give. They mostly give the halacha. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes. Well, like I like I say, my feeling is it's a tremendous mistake. Yeah. You see, but what can you say? Most people focus on two things. One, and they're both important, by the way but they're insufficient. One is halacha, which is very important, obviously. Uh, the second one is tikkun hamidot, is character development. You know, you've got to be good, you've got to do chesed, right? It's a lot of different character traits, and what they do is they illustrate it, right, through the chumash. You know, Avraham Avinu was chesed, and Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and, and so on. You know, they try to bring out the tremendous character of all the, the avot, the shvatim, and so on, you know, which is great. Uh, but that's, but they're all missing a very essential, uh, uh, what do you call limud, and that is hashkafa. What's the divine plan itself? What is it all about? And from the perspective of the divine plan, then you could begin to understand the chumash, you see. But most people don't learn it. That's because most people don't know it. This is the problem, you see. And it is only hashkafa that will protect you from the onslaught of foreign ideologies in the world. Anyway, any questions about the Shia? I have one more question on the Shia. Um, so now that we don't, we don't blow the Shafar on Shabbat, obviously. So you said yes. you have to mention the Shafar. What does that mean, mention the Shafar? Because in the Torah... It says, it talks about Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of the seventh month, right? It mentions it twice. The first time it says, Yom Truor, a day of blowing. But the second time it mentions it, it doesn't say Yom Truor, it says, Zichroin Truor, a memory of the Truor. So the rabbis took that as an illusion that on Shabbat we will make that you do not blow shofar because they don't want you to carry it. And therefore, if you mention the shofar, then God will consider it as if you have blown it. So how do you mention you it? You just say shofar? No, in, in the, in the machzor. It mentions oh, the... Oh, the, just by saying it in the machzor, it's enough. Exactly. Just by saying the psukim, that's enough. But that's so, only enough on Shabbat, not on Sunday. Right. So they say although, that... Although Sunday, although Sunday is not minatera, it's midrabonon. Rabbinically, not... Uh, biblically. Biblically, there's only one day of Rosh Hashanah. Right. But rabbinically, they made it two days. So they say that on, on Shabbat, that Hashem blows the Shofar for us? Is that true? On Shabbat, He blows the Shofar? Yeah, that's what, that's what they said. He does it Himself in, instead of us. Well, it doesn't mean He blows the Shofar. God doesn't have a Shofar. He doesn't have lips. It means that what, what it means is that whatever these sfirot that are influenced 
by the shofar, he activates. Because the shofar has a consequence. So what God does is he activates the consequence as opposed to using the instrument that activates it. That's what it means. When it says that God wears tefillin, because the Gemara says that God wears tefillin, well, how could God wear tefillin? He doesn't have a head, right? right? And so the answer is that the Kabbalistic equivalent of tefillin, in terms of the Sfirot, God activates. You see, every mitzvah here has an equivalent, an equal, somewhere in the Sfirot. You see, and God activates that, so it's as if he wore the tefillin. Same thing with the shofar. Okay. So, I hope uh, everybody has to have a ketivah v'chatima tova. Thank you, Rabbi. Amen. Right? Uh, next year should be a phenomenal year uh, for Amen. all of us. And the Mashiach Amen. should come. Amen. You know? Amen. Yes. Now, what I'd like to do next week, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, Monday night, which is after Rosh Hashanah, is to give a shiur on about Yom Kippur, Shuvah. We would love it. Yep. It's very timely, and I will give you a Shuvah shiur. Perfect. Thank you, Rabbi. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you, Rabbi. Okay. I hope, that, I hope this shiur really opened up your eyes. It did. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's Elise. I wanted to ask a question about uh, you. I heard the story, but I missed something. What was the reward for the man that that um, that collected the money for the mikvah? No, it's not his reward. The Chofetz Chaim said that he, that the reward. He's the Chofetz Chaim said this that if that man in his whole life, you know, created mikvahs, but he only was able to get one woman once in her life to go to the mikvah, then the Chofetz Chaim says that he envies the reward of that man. That just shows you how great one mitzvah is. Imagine the guy's working his whole life to raise money for mikvahs, and it only happened that nobody ever went, except one woman once in her life went to the mikvah. Then the reward wow. that this man has, right, for preventing whatever the Easter is, is infinite. So it was so great that the Chofetz Chaim says that he is jealous. And we're talking about the, the greatest man in his generation, that he is jealous of the reward of that Jew that had only that one mitzvah for his whole life. Got it? Wow. That just shows you how great one mitzvah very, is. Very, very, very powerful. Yeah. Let alone a lifetime of mitzvahs. You see. Okay, everybody should have, should have a great year uh, next Thank year, and you, next year should be the Gula. Amen, I'm looking Amen. forward. Amen. Rabbi, do we know the, the, uh, what the date is of the Akidat, Akidat Yitzhak? Uh, well, we know, uh, we know Yitzhak was uh, 36 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we year, know... the uh, uh, what, oh, you mean when it happened? When it happened. What uh, wait, I have, What uh, day, uh, what month? Uh, one second. 
if I'm not, if I'm correct, I, I, it may have happened on Rosh Hashanah. I'm not sure. Because that's that. That's why I was asking because I I think I remember hearing once, but I wasn't sure. But I remember I that. Think so. uh, if I if I remember correctly, I think it did happen on Rosh Hashanah. Is Maybe. there a list of things that did happen on Rosh Hashanah? I know the creation of man. We're thinking. No, the creation of man. The, oh, the creation of man. You're correct. That's right. Yes. The creation of man is Rosh Hashanah. Possibly also, the Hana, And also, Yosef was released from Egypt. Actually, from the Yosef, prison in Egypt. Yosef was I'm, released from prison on, uh, on that I'm day. I'm so happy I asked this question. I'm loving it. So, Yosef was released from prison. The creation Sora, of man. Sorah was, re- was remembered to have Yitzchak. And that's when he was... Okay. That's why it says, Vashem Pokar Esara. And Chana, from Memesh Shmuel, Chana, she was mm-hmm. remembered also. Chana was also remembered on, on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. What does that mean, remembered? It means God, that was the decree. That was the God decreed, God decreed on that day that they would have children. Oh, wow. Because, Beautiful. Because they were, both bar- they were both barren. That's gorgeous. Yeah, and the fact that Yosef was released, that is the release of the Mashiach bin Yosef. Oh, I Wow. That's so amazing. If Yosef was released from prison, it's also, is this why we're hearing that this is possibly the last Rosh Hashanah, that this is, should be the releasing of the Mashiach? Maybe. That's right. Who knows? Oh, my gosh. Oh. So excited. Inshallah, God willing. Yes. Yeah, but that was the grand finale. We should have started with that. <laughs> well, you know, you, you ever see at the end of a, of a, uh, the end of a play, the climax is always the the the, the main moment. Is the yeah. it's called the twist. It's called the twist, right? So we think it was the Akida, the the creation of man, Chana, Sarah, and, and Yosef yeah. being released. Um, released. released. Beautiful. Yes. Really, some prison. 